Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast, episode number 103. It's Wednesday. We're midway through the week. Dominic, it's been an eventful day for you, hasn't it? Yeah, let me tell you. Listen, I go to the eye doctor. They're putting drops in my eyes, giving me contacts, all this jitter-jatter. Then I go to golf this evening, and although I did play better than the last time I went, still didn't play good. It's all about the times with the boys, though, right? But then we hop on to record our wonderful special episode for all of our viewers and listeners. And my computer just completely, I don't know. I I don't know what happened. Everything just stopped working. But here we are right now. I love it. Yeah, it was was weird. We we were recording. You You guys, I was talking about my day and stuff, and Dominic, I look at him and he's all frozen over there, and I'm like, "Oh shit, I guess I'm gonna have to carry this one for a little bit." So I start segueing, talking about what we're gonna be doing today, and he never unfreezes ever for like five minutes. And I went, "All right, I think this is chalked." So, um, yeah, but we're good now. Hopefully, we're good. I'm everything. If you, guys, if you guys are listening to this, watching this, that means we we made it. <laughs> we, yes, we got it. Yes, but uh, yeah, uh, I guess. We'll just go ahead and get into it, so we don't. Uh, Let's risk just go. Your, Let's just go. <laughs> so we don't risk your computer's life anymore. We're gonna speed we run have. through this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so since today is Wednesday, that means this episode's just a bit extra special, and it's the second edition of the MMA Reddit Roundtable. If you guys aren't aware, this is the segment we introduced last week in our inaugural video podcast. So now we're just doing it again. You know, yeah, there's just- a lot out there. We're working out the kinks of it, getting used to it. That's all. Yeah, MMA Reddit is popping, and so is <laughs> MMA Twitter. Yes, I even got something from a YouTube channel today. So everything popping. Yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun. We got um, eleven topics technically, but one of those is like five parts. So you know, it's like when the teacher gave you homework growing up. You're right. like, do questions one through four. You're like, oh shit, this is nothing. And then you get on there, and question one's got parts A through yeah. D. <laughs> so I'm like, man, what the hell? This is like 30 question assignment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough out here. But we enjoy talking about this, so it should be. Fun. This is way better than math homework. Yes, this is true. <laughs> but I think we're just going to go ahead and jump right in with our first topic here, Dom. And a returning and this- <laughs> person. <laughs> yes. This comes from the best name in all of Reddit. Wow. Captain Cumsock 69. This guy might as well just be a third host at this point on the podcast. (laughs) He asked, will we ever see a triple champ in MMA? Now, now when you word a question like that, I tend to be like, well, yeah, of course, at some point uh, down the road, even if it's 100 years from now, there will probably be a triple champ in MMA. But I guess more realistically, Dom, for our lifetimes, I would still tend to say yes. Yeah, and especially if we're just talking three in general and not three at the same time, then it's even more possible. Uh, I would like to think with the evolution of these this new breed of fighters, it's only a matter of time, to be honest with you. Someone's going to come along that is just so dominant, so athletic, so skilled, so above everyone else, it, it probably, dare I say, 95% chance will happen. Truthfully, I really thought Israel Adesanya had a chance to do it. Yeah. Um, I guess he, I mean, he still does. 
even though he lost in his attempt to gain the light heavyweight belt from Blahovich, but he's still young enough to where he could definitely try that again at some point. And I'm, I'm, but I don't know about going to heavyweight. I mean, that's just a, yeah. that's a tall task for him. So what I feel like is more realistic is someone in that like bantamweight through lightweight classes. Or like even right a guy there. like Davison, maybe who's so yeah. big. 125, 135, 145. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking like a guy who maybe is like a starts at featherweight, goes down to bantamweight, goes up to lightweight. Yeah, all those classes where it's ten pounds in between. It just feels like when you go from lightweight to welterweight, you're dealing with like completely different sized human beings. After that, at this moment in time, right now, May twenty sixth, two thousand twenty one, is Conor McGregor still? closest to attaining this goal i mean think about it here think about it i i think you i think you make a good point even if he never defends that belt either even if he just (laughs) goes and wins it somehow yeah i never really thought about it but uh yeah i mean usman's been talking about him a lot recently yeah yeah so uh do i foresee connor winning that fight no No, yeah but like he he looks good at 170 when he fights there and I mean, I'm not going to put it past him to make that jump. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Just to think about that from the Connor we've seen the past couple years, but then when you really look into it, you're like, oh, I guess he kind of is still the closest to getting this. But, yes, Captain Comsock, 69. (laughs) I do believe we're going to see it. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Moving on to Stickya and Narizla. Yes. He, or he, this is more of a statement, excuse me. Okay, tell us, uh, tell us now. So, Tony Ferguson, so he's saying Tony Ferguson to 170 to minimize the weight cut, fights Nick Diaz in his comeback fight, Ooh. makes too much sense. I I, I would like I, to see it. I don't hate it. <laughs> you know, and, and what, what, what I like most about this is we don't really know what we're going to get with Nick Diaz. This is a guy who hasn't fought in – how long? Eight years at this point, I think, or something like that. He his last fight was against Anderson Silva. That was UFC 183. Yes. That was that had to have been 2014, 2015. Um, so it's been a while. It's great. Six years or so. I would expect that he's not going to be the peak Nick Diaz when he comes back. Right. So in the past, I've kind of hinted that maybe I'd like to see him fight Jorge Masvidal, which Ooh. it does make sense from a a uh, storyline. Yeah. yeah. But competitively speaking, that's that's asking a lot out of Nick at this point. Yeah, very true. Especially in his comeback fight. If he comes back and looks really good, then we're go- we're talking yeah. about something. So you bring him back against Tony Ferguson, who is struggling right now, lost three straight, all three pretty dominant fashion. A guy who I've never really looked at Tony as a guy who struggles to make 155, but I'd be interested to see how he looks at 170 pounds. The intrigue has at least been there to be like, yeah. hmm, okay, I bet he'd perform relatively well, yeah, especially gets, in a matchup like that. And it gets a guy like Nick Diaz, who's not necessarily a big 170-pounder either. Right. Um, I think it could be a lot of fun. I think it could be a really fun matchup. Oh, 100%, man. That, I, I agree. It does make almost too much sense. Just 
what does Tony want to do is what it comes down to. And what does Nick want to do in terms of return fight? Are we even going to see Nick return? Now we're getting comments that looked at first so positive from Dana. Now he's kind of redacted those, which he's been known to do, but it's just like, ah, he looks like Nick right now looks top notch physical condition. So I can only hope we get to see him against somebody. I know that much. Yeah. If that fight did go down, who would you lean towards? I mean, you probably should lean toward Tony just because we haven't seen Nick, right? I, but Nick or Tony's lost three in a row. <laughs> I mean, I would probably lean towards Tony just for that reason. Yeah, exactly. There's just it just seems like that's it's there's a lot unknown with Nick yeah. Diaz. You know what he's got. He does look great. It's just is he going to perform great? That's that remains to be seen. Yes, you would have to think it would at least be pretty violent. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Next one here. Coming from psychological dash again, 51. He asks, in terms of level of competition, okay. from one to three, one to three, how, how would you rank Bellator, PFL, and one fighting championship? Well, I think number one's pretty obvious. One is Bellator. One I has mean, gotta be Bellator. It, it's always been looked at as like the next tier, the B level. Um, mm-hmm. They have so, former UFC champions, really champions from all kinds of organizations. You got to well, put Bellator even on even guys in their own right that they've created have. Oh, like, exactly. Patricio, Patricio Pipple might be a top three featherweight lightweight in the world. Yeah, I mean he's even, that good. Even guys like AJ McKee, Austin Vanderford, yeah. Fabian Edwards. I mean there are. Tons and tons. Yeah, guys. Uh, that, it, but then you're right. They do have a lot of those UFC veterans that still. Yeah. You know, Anthony Johnson still looks really good. Uh, I mean, I know they lost. Well, now Rory's with PFL. I mean, look at Nemkov now, the lightweight champion. Ryan Bader still looks good. Um, you got guys like Benson Henderson. Um, they have a lot of talent, and I, I would say that they are slowly kind of creeping up towards being. I don't want to say like they're. I don't really ever foresee them as being like a true competitor to the UFC or like a but, threat. Yeah, but like I, I do think that they've they've come a long way in the last couple of years to really oh, yeah. boost up some of their. You know, they got Chris Cyborg like female wise. Yeah. Like they they do have like some of the best talent in the world. After that, I'm gonna say number two is one FC. I was going to agree with you. Now, obviously that's the one that us here in the States don't get to watch or follow near as much. Mm-hmm. They've got some top notch talent over there, man. I mean, it's crazy. And they do all kinds of different forms of mixed martial arts, which makes it really unique in its own right too. It's true. So uh, I, I agree with you as well. One would be number two for me. PFL still newer in terms of its comeback mm-hmm. would be number three right now as it sits. Well, for me, what, one of the big reasons for this has got to be the performances of kind of – a lot of times when you gauge the questions like this, it, it is based off of these UFC guys that go there. How do they perform? You look at the guys that went the 1FC, Eddie Alvarez, Demetrius Johnson. Sure, Demetrius had some success early on, but then he just got knocked out yeah. bad by Adriano Marais and his, his uh, plight for the title. Eddie Alvarez has yet to get a single win. Sage yeah. Northcutt lost, has only fought once and got, got his destroyed. Face broken. Yeah. yeah. While in the in the PFL, you know, you have seen guys do relatively well when they jump from the UFC and go there. Not necessarily Anthony, Anthony Pettis, Pettis, 
But like Fabricio did technically have a good debut if you yeah. take away the fact that he kind of got cheated out of a win. Um, Rory McDonald looked really good in his debut there. They, um, they haven't quite developed their own stars as much as Bellator and won. Yeah, like, yeah, except for Kayla Harrison. Kayla, Kayla Harrison, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you're right. They definitely are, you know, they're still newer. They're still building themselves up. And yeah. I think over time they'll become, you know, they have the backing of ESPN and stuff. They'll, they'll and be they have such a unique format um, in terms of the tournaments and the point style that they do. It's very different from the rest. So even if it's not the top notch fighters, it's still so cool to watch and like follow. And that's what keeps them afloat right now. And I'm, they do the million-dollar grand prizes and all that, so it keeps people intrigued no matter the level of competition. Yeah, agreed. Next one from Oscariozzi. <laughs> Very nice. That's Pronounce it out. Go with. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they put quite a bit on here, but essentially the question was, how the hell is Barboza still this good? If not and better. He, and he, he details, you know, Barboza at, as a lightweight took some beatings from guys like Kevin Lee and Habib Nurmagomedov. Um, been fighting top-level competition for close to a decade. He's 35 now. By all accounts, he should be shot to hell. Yeah, I mean, and he's cutting an extra 10 pounds. It's crazy. Yeah. So, and he, I mean, not that he was a big lightweight, but a lot of people, myself included, thought him moving to featherweight was a risky move. Just, you know, I, I wasn't sure if he was really going to be able to cut that much weight because he looks so lean at 155 pounds. He was like, big. Well, you just look at him like, you just look at him you're like, how do you, where do you lose 10 pounds from? Yeah. Like, where? It's great. You're, you're literally, there's no fat He's on pure him. muscle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you cut 10 more pounds? But it's wild. Let's be clear here. He does look like a new fighter, a, a re energized. A, he looks younger. He, he looks more just. A little more spring in his step, like mm-hmm. really couldn't have been a better career choice on his part. I mean, now he's top ten at featherweight. He's knocking on the door of top five title contention, he's going for the title, yeah. and he should really already be there because he lost technically his debut in the division, a split decision loss to Dan Ige, who's killing it right now. Yeah, but that was a fight that most people, myself uh, included, yeah, same, and you thought Barboza won. I agree. So he should already be kind of it should be three and zero at one forty five. And, um, yeah, he looks incredible, though. And I got to say, honestly, a part of it, too, shout-out to American Top Team. He recently moved down there the past, in the past few fights. I don't know which one was his first fight there, but you got to think, that's like a mega gym, man, and changing over to that. And sometimes they say changing gyms later in your career is usually a sign of the worst uh, is coming. Not for Edson Barboza, man. This dude is a freak of nature, super athletic. The power's still there. I mean, everything. He's honestly looked almost better in some aspects of his game, and I can't wait to see what comes next for him. If he can really grind all the way through this killer's division to a title shot, what a story that would be. It really would be. And you even look at his uh, his exchanges on the feet, the combinations he puts together. I mean, he's just doing it so much more with fluidity than he did at uh, lightweight. Um, at lightweight, you know, he was very dependent on kind of the knockout shot sometimes. Yeah. And here at featherweight, man, he just sticks to his game plan, stick, trust himself, trust he his weapons. people apart a lot more. Yeah. I mean, you look at that fight with Burgos, and that was completely done that way. It was yeah. it was like a surgeon. <laughs> and, um, you know, Bur- all respect to Burgos, but, 
I mean, what a Crazy. just I mean, he he definitely beat him down a little bit. One of the best but, performances of his career, really. Yeah. But uh but keep a lookout for Barboza. That could oh. be a guy that could really make some uh waves in the title chase. Uh this time next year, he might be the Charles Oliveira, the guy that you don't really expect to be there, but he's there, you know. I like that. I like that. Next up is gonna I hate this name so much, it's hard to <laughs> So it's a Q Z W X E C R V T B Y N one one one. One one one. Okay. Yeah, there's no way to pronounce that as a name, so I just I'm glad you didn't try. Everybody. You would have sounded like a robot. <laughs> yeah. So they said Hermanson versus Rockhold would be <clears throat> perfect. And I guess a lot of what a lot of this comes down to, Dom, is where do we think Luke Rockhold really fits in at this point? If you ask him. You said today he said he thinks he can beat Adesanya. Uh, but even more so than that, he's definitely looking for in his comeback fight to be against a top 10 middleweight. Yeah. And obviously, Rockhold's been on – he's struggled a little bit <laughs> in the last few years, That's really true. ever since he lost the title. Yeah. So what what are your thoughts on this potential matchup? Hermanson, not necessarily a guy that will – I mean, he does – he can knock you out on the feet, but he's, he's not known as a great striker by any means, so – um, how do you think that kind of matchup looks for a guy like Rockhold, who's so good, at, at least at one time, as a grappler and a striker? He looked like a complete package at one point. I think stylistically, stylistically it actually is a pretty cool fight. Both guys just super well-rounded. I mean, really, there's no better way to describe each guy. Rockhold primarily or is known for his submissions and grappling, but he can strike. Uh, Hermanson has his fair share of submissions as well. You saw what he did to Shabazian this past weekend on the ground. That was just nasty. And we were talking about, funny enough, on Monday, how Hermanson kind of is in an awkward spot right now. You know, with the whole division being booked in front of him, what's going to be next kind of deal? It would make sense to maybe welcome Luke back. It's been a while. Luke wants to come at 185, it seems. He seems like he's training. I don't know what his timeline is. But for Jack, that's a huge name, a former champion. Yeah, he doesn't have a number next to his name, but it still holds some some uh, weight in that division. I, I don't hate that fight, honestly. I had never even let it cross my mind, but the more I sit on it here and talk to you about it, I don't hate it. I think that's actually a really fun, interesting style clash. Yeah, I, I uh, to be honest, I, I didn't realize that Rockhold was planning to make a return. Um, or else maybe he might have been on my brain more often when it comes to predicting kind of who's next for guys like Hermanson or whoever. But well, it could be one last shot for him too. Well, think about it like this: he lost his belt to Michael Bisping back in 2016, the first ever pay per view that I watched live. Yep. Since then, he's fought three times. He beat David Branch, and then he yep. got knocked out by Gilbert Romero and Jan Blahovich. Both very brutal. That's it. He's fought three times since 2016. I mean, yeah. big gaps kind of in his in his production here. And obviously, coming off back-to-back brutal KOs, he has five losses in his career, and I believe they're all via KO. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot to ask of the guy to come back again and, you know, for his chin to hold up. It's a lot to ask, but – I think a guy like Hermanson is kind of a tailor-made matchup for Rockhold. Not that I think Hermanson would just be, you know, I don't, I don't want to say, or something. Yeah, I, I think it would be a very fun fight. But 
I mean, Rockhold, that was – people forget, that guy was like the complete package at one point. I mean, oh, that's grappling, right. Grappling, fantastic. Striking, fantastic. And really, you would kind of think that for the most part, those skills should still be there. Right. It's just, can he hold up in a three- or five-round fight? That remains to be seen. Can he take a shot? Can he – if the fight goes to the ground, is his grappling going to hold up against a guy like Hermanson, who's also a really good grappler, really good with submissions as well? Yeah. So I think it's interesting. I I, I definitely wasn't too sure how I felt about Rockhold returning to top-ten level competition. But if it's a guy like Hermanson who – Again, this is all about styles make fights. This isn't to say yeah. Manson's like a weak top 10 middleweight by no means. Right. It's more just the style. Like Hermanson beat beat up Edmund Shavazian. I would not want to see Shavazian fight Luke Rockhold because I think yeah, exactly. that's just a danger, at least not right away. Just I would be a little nervous about uh, Rockhold's chin in that matchup. But 100%. here really test his skills at 185, I think. Yeah, I, I love that idea, man. Mm-hmm. Next one, C. Pearson, ten twenty four. They ask, "What game plan do you guys think Aljo will have for the Yan rematch?" Mm. Well, I'm going to be honest. When the first fight happened, I thought he had the perfect game plan until he started to get very fatigued very fast, um, and that's when you're like, "Oh, okay, this ain't going to work." <laughs> yeah. So I think he needs to find that hybrid where he needs to use his wrestling because that's where he still has the advantage, <laughs> even though Jan took him down with that backward trip like an insane amount of times. It was crazy. But uh, I think he needs to have that approach, get Jan toward the fence, get his back toward the fence, uh, clinch up, get the fight to the ground as much as he can, but still hold a pace, man, that doesn't exhaust him because his pacing in that first fight was just nuts. We were watching it, and we were like, can he really do this for five rounds? Like, there's no way. And it started to show – that's yeah. when Jan started piecing him up, man. So in terms of a game plan overall, you can go relatively similar, but tone it back just a little because you're going to need to go five rounds with Pewter Jan to beat him, in my opinion. I just I don't know if that dude can get finished, man. <laughs> yeah, this is a tough one to really guess on paper because I thought Jan had – I thought Aljo had a clear advantage in the first fight being the grappling – Mm-hmm. But then when you watch the fight, that did not that was not a fight when you watch it that you see a guy with a grappling advantage. Right. Jan outclassed him in the grappling. Outclassed him. And to me, it's like, okay, so maybe he doesn't have a grappling advantage. He definitely doesn't have a striking advantage. Where's the route to victory? Well, where did the success come in? It was the pace he put on early on. And while I don't think that pace is manageable for five rounds. That's kind of what ultimately did him in mm-hmm. later. I think he's got to create some chaos in that, in that octagon. Try and Get finish on early. Well, wild exchanges, sprawls, yeah. just try to make it a messy fight because if you are going tit for tat, trying to make it a technical brawl, Jan's going to piece him up, Yeah, in my opinion. Aljo is a fantastic fighter, but that first fight showed me a lot about – Peter Jan in comparison to the rest of the stacked 135 division. I agree, man. Peter Jan's a straight killer. And mm-hmm. For any anyone, really, not even Sterling, game planning for that dude in general, good luck for anyone that has to face him. Mm-hmm. Next up, surroundings with three R's. 
Very nice, sir. You got to roll it. You gotta roll it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm too. I'm too white for that one. But he says, I get why an RDA fight might not make sense, but is Gaethje really turning down any fight that isn't for the belt? As in, he thinks he should fight for the belt coming off a loss for the belt. So um, this, you know, I don't. The way this is worded. I don't really want to touch on too much, like what Gaethje thinks. I don't know what Gaethje thinks. I, I don't. All right. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like call him up and ask. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what he thinks, but what I think is, I I wouldn't be upset if Gaethje versus Oliveira got announced, you know, for some time in the fall, mm-hmm. while Connor and Dustin finish out their trilogy. I mean, it's very clear that the winner of the Connor Dustin trilogy is going to be the number one contender. But think. if Connor wins, who's to say he doesn't go up to welterweight? Yeah, I know. Who's to Especially say he doesn't after recently? <laughs> who's to say he doesn't go box? Yeah. If Dustin wins, who's to say he doesn't retire? I mean, there's a lot. Uh, we're assuming a lot out of those two that they're really that they have any sort of interest in regaining that 155 pound belt, just because both of them really haven't said that. I mean, right. if anything, their actions have maybe showed. The opposite, especially for Dustin. I mean, he had a chance to fight for the belt, chose the trilogy. Not saying it was the wrong choice. I respect the the hustle. Go get your money. But after, if he was to win this trilogy, is he really gonna? Is that what he wants? We don't know. He hasn't really said. Right. And Connor maybe has made it a little more. At least in his interviews, he's acted like the belt's on his mind. But I mean, if he does get a chance to go up to welterweight and fight Usman, a chance for three belts. Well, I mean, in him versus Usman's a way bigger fight than him, Oliveira. I mean, let's just be real here because Usman's beginning to yeah. kind of make himself into a star right now. And there's always intrigue when Connor fights at 170. Uh, I mean, I personally love both fights, obviously, but I just feel so, like that fight would be bigger in terms of payday as well. So back to Gaethje here. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go back. First off, the if, if Gaethje is going to have to take a fight before he fights for the belt, I get it. The RDA fight might not sound the most appealing to him because it's a, it's quite a bit down. Right. But really, in my opinion, it's all about when he wants to fight. If he wants to fight before the end of the year, RDA is the fight. But yeah. if he's willing to wait, I mean, take over a year layoff, wait till the beginning of 2022, then you do maybe him and Michael Chandler. But – do you really want to wait that long to fight again if you're Justin Gaethje? Uh, I don't know. He Gaethje is probably like the biggest question mark right now in this 155-pound division. Although we were just talking mm-hmm. about like, oh, what does Connor or Dustin want to do if they win? Man, I'm ready to see Justin Gaethje fight again. And there's just like no signs of anything. And it's you would think RDA is like the fight that they've been sitting on, right? I mean, it's got to be it, especially now that RDA is not fighting Islam Makachev. But there's just been nothing, no ramblings, no rumors. What is Justin Gaethje going to do, sitting right there at the number one or two spot? I don't hate the idea of him fighting Oliveira either, like you mentioned, as a possibility. Um, I don't think he would turn down a fight against RDA either. I mean, Justin Gaethje's a guy that just wants to fight, man. So is he even getting offered fights? Chandler said he's been offered uh, to fight Gaethje, and Gaethje has turned it down. I I just don't know what's going on, but I'm ready to see the highlight reel back. I, I would love to see him and Chandler, personally, if they could do it by the end of the year. 
but uh, there's just a lot of question marks, man. There really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just what I what what do I think is going to really happen here? I think he's going to end up fighting RDA. That's that's what I that's what I believe. That's a very fun fight, by the way. I think stylistically, the way those guys fight. Mm. I agree because at this point for RDA or for Gaethje, excuse me. It's all about just maintaining your place in line. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. So, really, it's almost of his benefit. I mean, RDA is no pushover, but right. ranking wise, if you could try to beat the number seven guy in the world to keep your your uh, spot in line versus beating the number three guy in the world, you would think you'd have a better chance with the number seven. I'm not saying Gaethje thinks like that. I'm just saying right. that's that's probably how he should maybe think about this. Is I think that RDA fight might be a good one to take if he's wanting to keep his place in line. Um, he really just needs the one win. Yeah, he just needs one win. And really, stylistically, him and versus RDA, him versus Chandler, polar opposite styles of fights, too. So, yeah, what does he want to do? I, I don't know. I'm just ready to see him. It's, it can't be much longer. There's got to be something going on behind the scenes that we just don't know about. Yeah, it, it seems all quiet. It's like the, yeah. the calm before the storm. Perhaps. Exactly, exactly. Next up from Neon Plants with the Z. I he like simply that. asked, who wins? Oh. Kevin Holland versus Edmund Shabazian. I loved when you told me this before we started recording because it really got me thinking here. I want to be honest, though, dude. Shabazian striking is, dare I say, elite. For this middleweight division, at least right now, I mean, he can strike with the best of them. Holland is a great striker, but he's more, a little more wild, not as crisp and technical. But grappling-wise, I know it may not seem this way because of Holland's past two fights, but grappling, this man has a lot of submission wins, and he definitely would hold the advantage there over Shabazian, especially the Shabazian we've seen the past two fights. And... As of literally like two days ago, Kevin Holland has made a move to AKA with Daniel Cormier to start working on his wrestling. Um, So I'm very interested to see how he does there. Is he going to stay at middleweight? Is he going to go down to 170? Man, but if he stays at middleweight, him and Shabazian, honestly, is kind of a fight that would make sense a little bit too. That's a great fight, man. Who would win? That's the question. Who wins? I know I That's just beat around asks. the bush so much, and I didn't get an answer here. <laughs> Kevin Holland. You go with Kevin Holland? Do you think he finishes that fight? Yes. Hmm. I'm not saying I'm any more about this topic. I think I might go the other way. I think I might. I, I know Kevin Holland is not, you know, I know it's more his wrestling that, that needs a lot of work. It's not really his – you know, him on his back or his ability to get submissions, those are there. But come on, I mean I, I don't see him taking down Edmund Shabazian. I just don't. I uh I think this fight would be completely fought on the feet. And while Kevin Holland very explosive, um he is a good striker, but it's just levels with Edmund Shabazian. And while Kevin Holland could surely make it interesting with that explosion, with that speed, um and power, he could really make things interesting. I'm going to go with the guy who I trust more with their striking, and that's going to be Edmund Shabazian. I don't know if I'd see a finish, though. I think it would be like a three-round war type uh, fight. I think it would be really fun. 
Yeah, I, I really do think the more I sit on that one too, just like Hermanson versus Rockhold, Shabazi and Holland kind of makes a little bit of sense. So It does, but I'd rather see Holland go to 170 if I'm being honest. Yeah, I agree with you there. Now we're going to transition to MMA Twitter. Yes, bring them in, baby. And this is a great name as well. At Florist Griffin. I, I love it. They I heard asked, that name and automatically knew he was part of MMA Twitter. <laughs> yeah. He asks, what's your favorite card of all time? And his personal pick, UFC 231, headlined by Max Holloway and Brian Ortega, and then uh, Valentina Shevchenko and Joanna Yemjacek. Yeah. That's a good card, man. I'm getting my pick in here first before you go. Do it. The very first card in Madison Square Garden, UFC 205. Just a lot of memories watching this one. Um, three title fights. You have Connor being the first multi-divisional simultaneous champ, uh, winning that lightweight belt over Eddie Alvarez, a world-class performance. Joanna and Karolina Kovalkiewicz had a very underrated fight in women's MMA history. Um Tyron Woodley and Stephen Thompson, fight of the night, a war. Stephen Thompson battling back from getting dropped with hammers from Woodley. Uh, You got Yoel Romero with the flying knee KO over Chris Weidman. It was Misha Tate's last fight before now she's making a comeback this summer. Yeah, Um, Habib Nurmagomedov uh, and Michael Johnson had a really fun fight. Uh, There's a lot on here. It's it's a great fight, and it's just it just felt very big. Because it was oh, the first yeah. time, it was right after the state of New York became the last state to lift their ban on professional MMA. Yeah. So it was the first event back in New York, and it was the first one in Madison Square Garden, which is such a historic venue. It's it's my favorite. One of the most monumental cards ever to exist in mixed martial arts history, not just UFC history. That's undoubtable. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw a lot of people off, and I sat on this for a little bit because, Noah, I wasn't expecting a question like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to go UFC 117. Ladies and gentlemen, one of, if not the greatest rivalries in UFC history, Anderson Silva, Chael P. Sonnen, part one, the main event of the evening the unstoppable Anderson Silva. For those of you that are new, he's my all-time GOAT, my all-time favorite fighter. If it wasn't for Anderson Silva, I'm not sitting here right now doing this podcast. And I remember being such a young kid watching this. He's losing the whole fight. Anderson's getting dominated, something we had never, ever even came close to seeing before by Chael Sonnen. And then three minutes and ten seconds into round number five, the Hail Mary triangle choke to submit Chael Sonnen, retain the middleweight title, continue his run of dominance. Other honorable mentions on this card. We had John Fitch defeat Tiago Alves in a welterweight fight. Clay Guida got the submission over RDA, who we were just talking about. Matt Hughes even fought on this card against Ricardo Almeida and submitted him. And the first fight of the card, Noah, Junior Dos Santos and Roy, big Country Nelson, baby. And JDS got the win there in a decision. And while I don't remember the other four fights as clear, I just remember watching that whole card in the basement. Again, dad always having his poker tournaments with his buddies and little Dom's just sitting down there on the floor watching the fight. (laughs) 
And Anderson Silva, my superhero, came on the TV. The guy that looked unbeatable had me scared shitless for 23 minutes, thinking he was going to lose, and then pulled that submission off. To this day, probably the greatest comeback victory in UFC history. Yeah. UFC 117, man, it was a hard uh, decision for me, but I had to go with my man, the Spider. Yeah, that's a great pick. It is one of the all-time cards. I mean, uh, rivalry-wise, I don't oh, think there man. is a better rivalry than Anderson Silva and Chael Sonnen. And what's crazy is you watched that as a kid. You probably hated Chael Sonnen. Hated. And now look at you. He's my favorite. He's like the only th- – for you guys that don't know, Dom watches Chael Sonnen on YouTube about all day, every day now. Uncle Chael, baby. <laughs> Undefeated, undisputed. Never lost a round. Bad man <laughs> incorporated. You name it, baby. Woo. Yeah, but that was a great card. I mean, I personally – there are some other great ones, but, like, for me it was all about what one – like, it had to be one that I've, like, watched live. Yeah, like and for you know, those the, that, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, just I mean, there's some other great ones like UFC 100, UFC oh, yeah. 116. That's Lesnar versus Carwin. Um, UFC 189. That's Connor and uh, Chad Mendez, and then the Rory Robbie rematch. That might be the best fight of all time. I mean, there's there's plenty to choose from, and then if you go even back further, you got Chuck and Tito and Chuck and Randy. I mean, you got some great cards back then. But for me, it had to be one that I saw live to really get that uh, that emotional weight to it. And UFC 205 is probably – I mean, that was really early on in my MMA fandom. And, yeah. Uh, boy, did it – if it hadn't delivered, who knows? Maybe would I kind of fall, fallen in and out of love with the uh, MMA in the words of Tyron Woodley? I don't know. <laughs> I love that, man. Hey, you look even a month ago, UFC 261. That was one of the most bonkers cars uh, I've ever seen. If you would have said that, I wouldn't have blamed you. I mean, 261 yeah. incredible on paper. Unreal, like man. Just what a memorable card, at least. I mean, sorry, Chris Weidman. I mean, shit. Yeah. Not memorable yeah. in a good way for him, but the rest of that card is fantastic and just a lot of memorable finishes. It's it's going to be one that I think over time people are oh, going to yeah. put up at the top of their list, along with like UFC 217, yeah. where the three title fights, three – and news, first time that's ever happened. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good ones, but I, I really like that question. So I was yeah. I'm glad we could talk about that. And for those of you that are new, this uh, poster right here, <laughs> hold on, there we go, right there on that wall, UFC 203 holds a special place in Noah and I's heart. We got to see that live in person in Cleveland, Ohio. The card itself, yeah, you know. There were some cool things. We got to see CM Punk debut, Steve Payton in the title. I don't know why you always I don't know why you always act like that's like the coolest we, thing about We that. got to see Fabrizio Verdum start the fight with a flying Rey Mysterio kick across the ring. Yeah, too um, bad the rest of the fight was shit. <laughs> this is true. But for those of you that are new, that one holds a special place for us. It's in the archives if you ever want to listen to an old episode, by the way. I just had to throw it out there. It's on the yeah. wall. I had to mention it at least. Yeah, and I even though it didn't sound like it because I kind of talked shit about the card right there, it does hold a special place for me as well. I just hate when Dom says he always has to bring up CM Punk's debut. As but if it was cool. No, it it really wasn't. It was it we it was cool for a minute when he came out and the song came on. You know, we're WWE kids. Yeah, yeah. We 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 kind of got hyped. And then, and then the bell rang. And then Mickey Gall immediately got him in that double leg, and I was like, oh shit. Yeah. So yeah, UFC 203. <laughs> Best card ever. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, go to the next one. <laughs> Last one from MMA Twitter here at Falcon underscore punches. <laughs> <Not> he, 
Nice. <laughs> he gives us five basically what if fights here, and we got to pick a winner for each one. Uh, and honestly, I think we should just do this rapid fire. Just do it. Pick, no, pick. no discussing it. Just pick. No pick. Okay. Light heavyweight fight: Prime Daniel Cormier versus Prime Yoel Romero. Daniel Cormier. Yeah, I'll go Daniel Cormier. Lightweight fight: Habib versus Prime Jose Aldo. Habib. Habib. Not close, actually. Oh, I, I don't know. I think you're sleep. Uh, we can't discuss it, but I think you're sleeping on <laughs> Prime going, Aldo. Middleweight fight: Kamaru Usman versus Robert Whitaker. Kamaru Usman. And I love Bobby Knuckles. I was I thought you were gonna go with him. <clears throat> Rapid fire, Noah. Come on. Us- Usman. Usman, <laughs> fine. Henry Cejudo versus Peter Yan at Bantamweight. Ooh. <laughs> I'm Peter going with Yan. Yan. Peter Yan. Peter Yan. Man, we agreed on all of those. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Yan. And I hate you know how much I love Triple C. <laughs> you know how much I love Henry Cejudo. He's the best combat sports athlete of all time, baby. The king of cringe. But I think he might lose that fight to Jan. That's a tough fight. Very true. Um, but yeah, that's all for that one. Oh, and then okay. we, ra- we wrap. I was waiting up. on another one, man. You had me no. sweating. <laughs> we wrap it up here with actually a YouTube. Um, you know, on there you can put like discussion boards and stuff, or discussion yeah. posts, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so one of these came. I don't even know how it came across me. I don't. I don't. I'm not subscribed to this channel, but it did. So shout out to them. Night of Eternity MMA. Very cool. And they hit us with some with some cold hard facts here that hurt me a little bit reading it. Ooh. Cody Garbrandt is ah, now one, one <laughs> is now one and four in his last five fights after losing to Rob Font. Cody went from being an undefeated, <clears throat> undefeated and undisputed champion at eleven and zero to now twelve and four. What does Cody need to change to become successful? And will Cody ever be a champion again? Let me start with saying, will he ever be a champion again? He has an avenue at flyweight. Bantamweight's not out of the question either. I don't. I don't. I'm not necessarily saying he will be a champion again. God, I guess. But he can't can be, be. We can't. We can't be wishy washy. We gotta say it. Oh, sheesh. I'm gonna say he's never champion again. I think Ooh, if Davis I don't know. I think I if Davis and Figueroa moves up, he becomes a flyweight champion at some point. But do you think that happens? Yes. <laughs> oh, do okay. I? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I think Davison's gonna go. up. So you think time. at some point Cody will be flyweight champion? Yes. And I also put that in portion with the other half of the question: What does he need to do? Drop down to flyweight. I said this on Monday. <laughs> the size difference between him and Rob Font. Damn it! I'm talking too fast. Was mind-boggling. I couldn't believe how big Rob Font looked. Cody looked small. He looked like a flyweight. It's time. Go down. Keep practicing. Get your lungs back from COVID. We talked about that on Monday as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to have this guy just listen to our Monday episode. We talked a lot about what we think next for Cody. Yes, he can be a champion again. He will be a champion again at 125 pounds. You're right. I must, yeah, because I said that too. I said I think Davison's going up. I think Cody will be a flyweight champion at some point. I think he matches up really good against a lot of the top flyweights. And what, as far as what do I think he needs to do to be more successful, I mean, I think he needs to take some time, let them COVID lungs heal up or get whatever the top help you need to kind of do that. I don't know. I've had my own bouts with the – the the like, I, I get it. 
on a smaller scale. I'm not an athlete. I'm not mm-hmm. as in shape as Cody Garbrandt. But I had COVID back in the fall, and trust me, I fully understand kind of at least on a smaller scale that, like, that shit is not fun. It definitely has a lingering impact for months later. Yeah, and for him, fun. who had blood clots and, I mean, pneumonia, pneumonia. and all this stuff, it's, it's rough for him. So he needs to take some time, make sure his body's right, and then he can get back in there, maybe push for a flyweight fight or bantamweight, whatever it is. Um, Technique-wise, I think Rob Font just ended up being a bad matchup for him. Um, I think Cody can do a lot of the things Cody does against most of that division, and it work out pretty well. Like I think he's a good matchup against a guy like Aljamain Sterling. I think yeah. he can be a good matchup against TJ Dillashaw if he ever fought again. Corey Sanhagen, uh, I don't know. I think he's, he's a, a bad matchup. matchup for anybody. He's a good matchup against someone like Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar, I think. Uh, but in terms of being a champ, look at the champ. Or not, well, Sterling's a champ, but look yeah. at Peter Young. But yeah, I don't – Peter Jan might be another level, man. Yeah. But if he goes to flyweight, I would think that his his advantages against some of those guys at bantamweight would be even more so against guys like Askar Askarov and Brandon Moreno. And if he can Waldo still carry Roval. that power 10 pounds less. Ooh. Yeah, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, that's going to actually wrap it up here for the <sighs> MMA Reddit roundtable. Yeah, you can exhale. Everything's good. Everybody's fine. And we, we made did. it through a whole podcast, and my computer didn't blow up. <laughs> well, well, we still got to we still got to outro this bitch. <laughs> but uh, that's gonna wrap it up here. This will be our last episode of this week. There is no UFC event on Saturday, so no Friday preview. There's no event at all, <laughs> and no Monday, re- and no Monday recap either. So that means we'll be seeing you guys next Wednesday, a week from today, with another special episode. What's it gonna be? TBD. TBD. But. Uh, <laughs> Until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Just kidding. I'm still here. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Diesel 14 More importantly, find the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore MMA podcast. And for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NTBaker underscore. If you go there to my bio, there is a link there for the link tree. That contains links to all the platforms that the podcast is on, along with the social media platforms for the Below Average Joes. There's also a couple links for the Anchor page. First, leaving a voice message. If you have a thought about an upcoming fight, a news story, if you just want to say hi, or call us a couple pieces of shit, you can do it there. And there's a link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. I can't, you know, I can't do what I always do and say, oh, if you want to see a video podcast, donate us some money. Eh. Well, we we have one now. Yeah. So now I just got to say, if you want to donate us some money, do it there. <laughs> and we'll keep improving the podcast. But no, we really appreciate all the guys, all your guys' support, whether you give us money or not. But there's just the options there if you would like to become a donator to our podcast and we can continue to make improvements. All that money will go back into improving the quality of the podcast. And uh, we're looking for ways to kind of incentivize that down yeah. the road. So be on the lookout for that. But that's it. We're out, and we'll see y'all on a week from today. Yeah, yeah, that one.